So this morning, we're going to have a little bit of an adventure along with the sermon. I uh, was having a little bit of a hard time with my PowerPoint. Um, at first, it didn't even want to show up, so we've come a long way since then. Um, but it seems to have a little bit of an extra character to it. So if you start seeing random slides popping up, just let no, know. I'm not doing that. <laughs> it's not part of the presentation. It's just doing its own thing. So with that said, we are concluding our series today on generosity. We are concluding our little mini-series on Psalm 100. Today we're going to be specifically looking at verse 5. And what we're going to be doing with this is we're going to be taking a look at what God has to say about his quality. We're also going to be taking a look at just because he says it is the evidence there to support what he has to say about his quality. And then we're going to take a look at what it is it that we should do as a response to who God is. But before we do any of that, let's pray. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for your involvement in our lives. And we thank you that we can learn so much about you, ourselves, and those around us from this gift of your word, Lord. We ask that you would guide us today, use us for your purposes, help us to discover what it is you wish us to learn. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So the passage itself is, For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Now when you look at this passage, you can see that the, the primary focus of this is that the Lord is good. And the rest of the passage seems to support this. It seems to be all about the Lord being good. But what does that mean? I mean, we can look at other things that are good, such as chocolate chip cookies. But it's kind of weird, isn't it, to be comparing <clears throat> a good chocolate chip cookie with a good God? It doesn't really seem to make sense. Or we can take it even further. We can take a look at a luxury home in the Bahamas, right? With this winter storm coming up. Does that sound pretty good? Well, yeah, that's awesome. That would be just fantastic, right? So we've got a God who is good. We've got cookies that are good. And we've got a luxury home that is awesome. So what are we saying here? That the luxury home is better than God? Well, that doesn't make any sense at all. We're not going to get very far on that. Well, the thing is that that's comparing apples and oranges, right? I mean, it's not really a, a very good comparison at all. That's not exactly what it's about. As a matter of fact, if we were to take a bad God, there really wouldn't be much of anything in life that we would be able to enjoy. It would kind of overpower anything else in life. But no, what we're talking about with a good God is we're talking about good versus evil, right? We're talking about morality. We're talking about God being fully good. Now, this is quite a statement for God to be able to say that he is fully good. But at least now we have a better idea of how to compare things. Because we can look at humans and we can say that is a good person or that is a bad person, right? So let's try comparing God with a good God with a good human. Well, George Washington, one of the founding fathers, at one point he was offered the position of becoming king of the United States. We're one of the most powerful, most influential nations in the world. That would have changed history. That would have changed world history. The world that we live in today would have been completely different if George Washington had accepted that position. But he realized that the greater good was for him to not accept the position of king. But he had some problems. <laughs> he had some problems. He had a, a lot of pride. He also, he owned slaves, and he had other problems as well. So is he fully good? No, no, he had some shortcomings. 
Well, let's take a look at somebody who God said, now God, who is fully good, said, this is a man who is in pursuit of my own heart, King David. Now, surely somebody who is trying to pursue God's heart, who is fully good, would be somebody who would be pretty good. But King David has some problems as well, not the least of which is the fact that he lusted after a married woman. And then to cover up his lust, he had her husband killed. Yeah, that's not so good. That's definitely pretty bad stuff. But you know what? To be fair to King, uh, King David and George Washington, nobody is really good. There is not one person who can stand up to the scrutiny of being fully good. So when God says that he is fully good, he is saying something that is truly unique, that is truly remarkable. But God is not satisfied with that. He wants to take it up yet another notch. His definition goes even further. Because if we look at the rest of the passage, we can see that it says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. This is crazy. This is crazy. It is crazy because he promises to be completely loving to us forever. He promises to be faithful to us forever. And he does all this knowing that we are not faithful to him, that we are not loving towards him, that we have some bad in us. So this is truly an incredible God, an incredibly good, loving, faithful God. But the reality is, is that we haven't actually gone anywhere with this yet. All we have is God's words. All we have is his description of himself. Has he truly been good? Has he truly loved us forever? Has he truly been faithful to us forever? Is he as good as he says he is? Well, the way that we can examine this, obviously, we could go into the Bible and look at every single person that he interacted with. But I'm guessing that you don't want to spend the next couple of weeks doing this. But what we can do instead is we can take a look at five times that God has come in and tried to partner with us. So we can take a look at his overall plan for humanity and see and judge him by that. Has he been faithful? Has he been loving to us? Now this actually has a term. In the Old Testament, this type of, of solemn promise is called a covenant. And the way that a covenant with God works is that God gives a promise of blessings. But then we have to live up to our responsibilities. So we live up to our commitments, our responsibilities to God, and then God delivers in on his promises. Well, the first one, this first covenant, is with Noah. Now, this is when humanity was definitely at a low point. In fact, it says that every generation was committed to being more evil than the previous generation. All of their thoughts, all their time was how I can be more evil. Can you imagine how children and babies and, and, and the weak were treated, or the elderly, assuming you lived that long? It would have been a hell on earth, with every year, every day, every week, every hour getting worse. Well, God said, enough of this. We're done. We're not doing this anymore. So he wipes out all humanity, and he keeps one man who is righteous and his family. And right after doing this, he says to Noah, he says, I am never going to let this happen again. I am never going to destroy earth like this again. Now, you, you think, if, if God just destroyed the world, that 
would really create a lot of fear in you, right? You would start noticing that maybe society's starting to get bad again, and you'd think, oh man, well, you know, why even show up to work today? God's probably going to wipe it out, right? Why build the city? Why plan ahead? Why think at all? Why not just give up on life? But God wanted to create a stable place where humans and God could work together to try to create something better. No matter how evil we became, God said, I am committed to remaining faithful to you. Our responsibility? Nothing. We didn't have anything to do. This was a freebie. God just gave it to us. So is God being good? Yes. Is he being faithful? Well, we're still here. (laughs) So yes. Yes. God is loving and he is faithful. The next time was with a man named Abraham. See, society started getting bad again. People didn't know how to treat each other. They didn't know how to interact with each other. And they kind of just went with whatever felt good. And so there's a lot of chaos in the world. There's not very much stability. There's not like this public school system that everybody can go to and and learn the basics about life. They're just kind of doing whatever they can. And there's just a lot of cruelty going on. So God comes up to Abraham and Sarah and says, you know what? I am going to create an entire nation out of your descendants. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to give them a great land. And I'm going to take very good care of them. And you know what? You're going to show other nations a better way to live. Your offspring are going to be a blessing to all nations. And when you're living in a chaotic world that's really violent and very self-centered, this looks really good. So what did he have to do? What did Abraham and his descendants have to do? They had to trust God and do what is right, which makes sense. Because if they didn't trust God and just did whatever they wanted to, then that's kind of self-defeating. So is God loving in this? Absolutely. Is he faithful? Well, actually, he doesn't get much of a chance. (laughs) The descendants of Abraham aren't particularly trusting of God, and they aren't particularly faithful and committed to doing what's right. And if you read Genesis all the way through 2 Kings, you can see that they continue to fail in their commitment. So God's not obligated to be faithful in this covenant. So let's move on. God is faithful, and he does allow the descendants of Abraham to form a nation. And he goes up to this nation of Israel, and he says, you know what? I want to bless you, and I want to work in your life. I want to protect you. I want to help provide for you. I want to bring peace to your nation. Basically, I want to turn you into an awesome nation. And... I want you to have the honor of representing me to the rest of the world so they can also know what it is to become an awesome nation and they can also know what it is to receive my blessings. This would have been an absolutely incredible thing. An absolutely incredible thing. God has upped the ante again. He's increased the promise that he's offering his people. So what was their requirement? The requirement was only that they had to obey God's laws, which makes sense. And this would have been really helpful for them to really know, because this is kind of their school system, learn the basics of life, how to interact with each other, how, you know, what is right, what is wrong, what to do, and how to interact with God. This would have been a very uh, wonderful thing. So is God loving? Absolutely. Is he faithful? Well, as it happens, as Moses and God are on the mountain working out the covenant, guess what the people are doing down in the valley? 
They're saying nuts to God. We're going to go create our own and we're going to worship him. They haven't even got the ink dry on the contract yet. And they're already ready to break it. So that didn't work out too well either. So that covenant is broken as well. So finally God comes up with his best covenant yet. And this is a covenant that he gives to King David, one of the descendants of Abraham. And he says to King David, I am going to set up an eternal kingdom through your descendant. An eternal kingdom that will bring blessings to all nations. I am going to create an awesome nation. I'm going to bless that nation, and you are going to go out and be able to bless other nations, and it's going to be eternal. This is a major step up. This is an amazing piece of news. But what is our requirement? What is it that we have to do? Well, what we have to do is we have to, the kings have to obey God, which again makes sense. The people get off track, you bring them back on. Is this a loving thing for God to do? It's a very loving thing. Is God faithful to this? Well, if you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you notice that most of the kings are, are not faithful to God. In fact, they're, they're not even neutral towards God. They're actually hostile towards God. And they encourage the people. They actually encourage the people to get worse and worse. It's, it's a pretty awful thing. So now we just have kind of a mess. We have, we have Noah, and that worked out well. And we have Abraham, and that did not work out. And then we have Israel, and we have King David, and we have all three of these covenants that have basically failed. God has continued to try to partner with us, and we just continue to mess up on our part of the deal. And it's just creating a big mess. We just kind of go off in our own way and do our own thing, and we really don't kind of care who it is that we're hurting, who it is that we're bothering, what lives we're messing up. And this covenant is broken. And so the nation of Israel is destroyed, and most of the people are killed, and the people who are surviving, most of them are hauled off into exile, into faraway lands, and everything is pretty much hopeless. And there's really no view of how there can possibly be a future at this point. But this is a chance for God to show his true faithfulness to us because he does an amazing, amazing thing. Through his prophets, we begin to hear of a new covenant. A new covenant. And this is going to involve God actually coming down to earth and being born as a human, fully God, fully human to come in and help us. And of course, who is this? It's like Sunday school, right? What's the answer in Sunday school? So who is this? Jesus. That's right. That's good. That's the only quiz. So you did well. That's right. It's Jesus. Now, when we normally think of Jesus, we think about this guy coming in and showing us, guy, God, coming in and showing us how to live a better life, right? He dies for our sins, right? And he rises again, defeating death for us. But there's something else that I want you to consider about Jesus. Because he just didn't appear out of anywhere. He had parents who had parents who had parents. And he is ultimately from the line of Abraham. Except he was a trustworthy offspring of Abraham. And you know what? He spent his whole life being trustworthy. So you know what happens? He fulfills the covenant. This covenant is now activated. But you know what else? He's not just any descendant of Abraham. He's also part of the nation of Israel. And he spends his entire life being faithful to the law. So he fulfills the next covenant. 
this covenant is now active. But not only that, we come to the most awesome covenant that God has ever created. And that's the covenant with King David. Now, Jesus isn't just any Israelite. He's also a descendant of David. But he has to be a king in order for this to work. Well, he's God. He's got the king thing built in. (laughs) He is a king who's obedient to God and a descendant of David. He fulfills all the criteria. This covenant is now activated. He has fulfilled all of these covenants. It's an amazing thing. And remember, he did this because God became human. Because we couldn't handle our part. We couldn't do what was necessary. So God became human so he could take care of both sides of the covenant. Is that loving? Is that faithful? That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. But Jesus has done this for us, but how can we take advantage of it? Well, we can take advantage of it because Jesus is God and he can create a new covenant. And what is this new covenant? This new covenant is absolutely amazing. God can come in through the Holy Spirit into our hearts and into our minds and be with us and counsel us and help us and guide us through life. He gives us eternal life. And he doesn't just give us any eternal life. He gives us eternal life with him in heaven. Way better than a chocolate chip cookie. (laughs) It's an amazing thing. So what do we have to do in order to get this amazing gift? What do we have to do? All we have to do is accept Jesus as our Lord and as our Savior to acknowledge the truth of his kingship. That's all we have to do. And then this covenant becomes active within us. And we can take advantage of all of God's promises. It's an incredible thing. It's a faithful God. It's a very loving God. So truly, God is an amazingly, generously good God. He's amazingly, generously faithful and loving God as well. So now the question comes to us, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? Well, I want to tell you about three people who have been impacted by this amazingly, generously good God and what it means to them. First, I want to start with Pastor John Cow. Now, this actually came out about two days ago. It came out into the news, information about this guy. Here's a picture of him. Now, he has been in prison for the last 18 months. This pastor has devoted his life to sharing God's love by providing food and necessary supplies to the severely impoverished in China. Kao also worked diligently to establish schools in Burma and provide education and better opportunities to the disadvantaged, building 16 schools in three years. Now, I don't know if you've been following the news. It hasn't been heavily covered, but China has recently really cracked down on Christianity. As a matter of fact, they have gone out and they have destroyed almost every large church in China. Not just closed up, not just forbidden from going in there. They've actually destroyed the building so there's nothing but a pile of of bricks and rubble. rubble. That That is true animosity. And as a matter of fact, even other churches that are still allowed to exist 
they have demanded all their crosses to be removed. And some, China, some of these Chinese churches, Christian churches, actually have cameras in the front of the church so that the government can see who's coming to church so they can start following those people. <laughs> that would be intimidating. That would be pretty high level of commitment. But knowing this, Pastor Cao continued to go to China and continued to help them. This 59-year-old pastor is now locked in a cell with a dozen other prisoners who must all share the same bed. On average, he has 14 meals per week. As a result, his health has deteriorated and he's lost about 50 pounds. He's sentenced to seven years. This is going to be the next seven years for him, all because of his Christian faith. His wife and two sons live in North Carolina. Now, he knew the risks. He knew the risks. But he was so committed to the idea that other people have to know about this generously good and loving and faithful God that he was willing to take these risks, that it was all worth it for him. The next person that I'd like to tell you about is called Tori. Her name's Tori. And what she has done is an amazing story of forgiveness. And I'll let her tell it in her own words. I found out around seven years old that I was adopted. I had a lot of questions and I was confused, but I was 17 when my mother sat down and told me everything that happened. Well, the day I was born, my mother went home and she placed me in a trash bag and put me in a trash can on the front porch. Later on in the day that afternoon, my oldest brother found me and I was blue and purple and I had ants all over me and they took me to the hospital where I was not expected to live. They um, had to revive me several times. Through hearing the story, it's just a miracle that I'm alive because, you know, God has plans for everybody. I know that God has plans for me because he's had his hand of protection on me ever since the day I was born. Through my walk with Christ, it made my faith a lot stronger and they would forgive her for what she had did to me. I hope that my story is able to help those that have felt like they maybe are not wanted, that they just keep their faith and trust in Christ. They do have a purpose and that God does have a plan for their life, but you just have to keep your faith in Him. So she says it so casually. I was able to forgive my mom. <laughs> Can you imagine somebody trying to kill you? Can you imagine somebody have such a careless attitude towards you that they're willing to just throw you away? That's hard. That's hard. That's a hard thing to process. But being able to process and just become kind of functional after that would be an amazing story. But to be able to actually forgive the person who has done that to you. That's reaching a very, a very amazing place. That is, a, that is a connection, a deep connection, with a very generous, loving God. And because of her relationship with God, as she says, because of her relationship with God and his love for her that she can tangibly feel, she was able to process this and not only deal with it in a healthy way, but actually get to the point where she's able to forgive her mom. 
Wow. The last story I want to tell you about is Inky Johnson. Perhaps for some of you sports fans, that name seems familiar to you. Inky lived in poverty as a child. He had 14 family members living with him in a two-bedroom house. So he knew that he needed to be able to get into the NFL so that he could lift his family out of poverty. This became his life goal, and he was absolutely, completely committed to it. So much so that his senior year at Tennessee, he was predicted to become the number one draft pick for the NFL that year. That is an amazing story. He thought his problems were absolutely, completely over. And then in one of the last games that he was playing with in Tennessee, he became paralyzed, permanently paralyzed in his right arm. Let me let you hear him from him. I'm sorry about what happened to you. And I'm saying to myself, uh, man, ain't you really messed it up this time. Like, man, that's really the only thing you wanted, huh? Like, you just thought because you grew up in this um, so-called hood, two-bedroom home, 14 people. Like, the only thing you really wanted was the NFL. That's it. I'm like, man, you limited God to that? Like, life holds no substance, no value? Like, efficient but not effective? I did things right, but I never did the right thing? And now the thing I placed my identity in, now it was gone. That's why I laugh at people when they say, man, if I could just get this, I'll be. Man, if I could just get this position, I'll be. Woo! Man, if I could just get this amount of money, I'll be. I'm like, woo. But what happens even if you get it or you don't get it? What happens when God says yes and no? Like, do you have the ability to accept what you don't understand? Can you still see God's plan when it didn't go the way that you thought it would go? Can you handle when things get off course? I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, like, man, I'm eight games away and God is redirecting me. And I'm like, God, just let me get to the NFL, then redirect me. Like, let me get the contract, then redirect me so I can help my family. And God is like, no, son, I need you to really go that way. And I'm like, you sure? Like, man, I need to go this way. He's like, no, I need you to go this way. I got something greater for you. Now, it might take a little longer to manifest, but I got something even sweeter. Like, I got something more fulfilling. I got something more rewarding. I got something, son, that's going to carry you for the rest of your life. Like, it's an amazing thing. I knew this was what I was supposed to be doing when one day I'm backstage and I got the same feeling that I got when I used to be in the tunnel before I was running out of Neyland Stadium. And I said, thank you, God. And so now I live my life a certain type of way according to what God has done. I live my life a certain type of way according to the power that I know the Lord possesses. I live my life a certain type. Like when I go to the Lord in prayer, I go bold. And every time I go bold, I'm so thankful that that's not me and my Lord's first time communicating. And people have the nerve to ask me all the time, Inky, why wouldn't you change what happened to you? You got a paralyzed right arm and hand. I'm like, if you only knew and if you only saw the works that God has done in people's lives around me, what he's done in me, yeah, it's great, it's cool. But what God has done in the people's lives around me, like, you can't put a price on that. That's something. So did you hear him say a couple of times that if he had to do it all over again, he would do the same thing? What? What? How does that make sense? He would do the same thing all over again because he was changed and he grew closer to God. 
And because he grew closer to his God, his father became a Christian. His three boys became Christians. His mom became a Christian. But not only that, not only that, he has people come up to him all the time and say, you know what? I am now following God because of the life that you have led because of your courage. It meant so much to me that I had made that decision. So what he's saying is, I'll give up millions of dollars. I'll give up fame. And not only that, I'll take a paralyzed arm because I know that some people are going to make a decision for Christ because of that. Now, what I read about in the newspaper is about the guy who's willing to kill somebody to get the millions of dollars. Right? That's what we see. That story would not surprise you, would not faze you at all. I see the guy willing to kill somebody to get 50. (laughs) But for him, millions of dollars means nothing compared to a life that has changed for Christ. That is somebody who is connected with his God in a significant way. That he understands the generosity of love that God has to offer and the generosity of faith and goodness that God is. It's an incredible, incredible thing. So now it comes to us. How are we going to respond? What are we going to do with this? So I just told you three stories. Now, I'm not trying to do this to shame you and say, well, what's your problem? Why aren't you like this? Why aren't you willing to give up millions of dollars to have somebody saved? I'm saying this to inspire you, to show you what can happen as you continue on the road getting to know God better. As you bring him into a larger and larger space into your life, as he takes greater and greater control of what is happening to you on a daily life, this is what can happen. These things happen in life. All this stuff happens, and much, much worse. But these people have shown what they can do when they are connected to God. That is their response to a bad world when they're connected to God. So what is our response? How are we going to respond to this? We can do study of God's word. We can make it a priority to never let our head hit the pillow until we put our nose into the word. We can talk to God authentically, not just giving out words that we give out every once in a while and give them in the same order every once in a while that we could just put play on a recording. We can tell him, you know what, this is where my heart is. This is where my struggle is. This is where my brain is. These are the things that are going on in my life, and I care about these things. God, please guide me in this. Talk to him authentically. And there are many other things that we can do. There are many other things that we can do. But, of course, one of those options is that we can choose to just simply let the opportunity pass by and to say, I'm not going to respond. I'm just going to continue to live the life that I've been living. The reality is is that the world is not good. Not a surprise to you there. It doesn't care. It doesn't care if you're loved, if you're lonely. It doesn't care what your problems are or what you've got going on or what your hopes, your dreams, if you're making good plans or bad plans. It does not care. But we have a good God, and a good God in a bad world will make all the difference. Let's pray. Father, you are generously good. You are generously loving. You are generously faithful to us. Please help us to take full advantage of your generosity towards us. 
Help us to be a church that does more than know you and be a church that represents you. As we go out into our community, our homes, and our workplaces, thank you, Lord, that we can be generous to others because you were first generous to us. We pray this in your son's name. Amen.